0: Going to continue in our sermon series in the Gospel of John. We're in a section of John that's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's the night before Jesus uh, goes to the cross and he spends it with his disciples. And we're kind of in John 16 today, but really throughout today's teaching, we're going to be jumping around a lot 14, 15, 16. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open to John 14, if you want to power on your Bibles and just kind of scroll that way and get those ready. I'm going to invite Ask you to come, and she's going to do our scripture reading today from John 16. So let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's word today.
1: This is God's word from the gospel of John, chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you.
0: Father, we thank you for your word, and God, I ask that you would Uh, Send your Holy Spirit to be present with us right now, just in a, a special way. Holy Spirit, you inspired these words to be written so long ago, and we ask that you would bring them to life in our hearts and in our minds right now. And I pray that our focus and our attention and our worship would go to Jesus, the one who is lifted up, the one who is glorified. I pray now, God, that you would give us teachable and soft, receptive hearts. I pray for myself that you would even guide my words, that what I share and what I say would be truthful and would be helpful. Pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. You know, there's these things sometimes in life, this is a very broad category, but there's these things that exist that you know exist, you know they're a thing, you know that they're real, but you just don't really understand or, or you've never experienced it yourself. So I was thinking about this uh, kind of throughout the week and I, I asked my wife, kind of gave her some examples and she goes, okay, I've got one. My wife said a billion dollars is like that to my wife. She's like, I know there are people who have a billion dollars. Uh, Many of them started companies right here in Seattle, right? Uh, People have a billion dollars. People, you know, can go to their bank account and their investment accounts. They can have that. She's like, I just cannot wrap my mind around what it would be like to have a billion dollars. And I said, well, let's keep dreaming. Uh, But, I asked Hannah. Hannah is on staff with our church. Uh, she, uh, she was out in the lobby. And I said, Hannah, I have a question for you. And I kind of explained this to her. And I said, what's, what's like that for you? What exists, but you just kind of can't wrap your mind around it? And she said, Renaissance fairs. And, uh, and I said, Hannah, like of all the people that I know who wear cloaks, you're like at the top of the list and Renaissance fair. She's like, yeah, I know. like, But like, I like to wear cloaks, but I can't imagine going to a Renaissance fair and people have like sword fights and they're eating, you know, turkey legs and speaking in old English. She's like, that just seems really weird to me. And I said, well, it seems really weird to you because it is really weird. But she's like, I know that they exist. I know that people do them. And I was like, you've never been to a Renaissance fair. And I was like, I've been to like four. <laughs> and uh, that's that was my admission to her. But I didn't mean to say that. The Holy Spirit just prompted me to share that, to get that off of my soul. For me, for me, uh, it's airplanes. I, I travel a few, you know, a few times a year. I, I fly around, you know, mission trips or classes or retreats or different things like that. And every time that I get on a 200,000 pound steel tube and it like accelerates and like we lift off the ground. I just think to myself, there's no way that this is real. Like this can't be happening. Is anybody with me on that? Like how is that? Am I being pranked right now? Is this like the moon landing and it's all a government conspiracy? Like what is happening here? Sorry. Uh, sorry. I just, right? Like it's just one of those things. It's just one of those things. It's like, I know it exists. I, I, even, I even get on airplanes and travel places, but it's just weird to me. I know that there's this science of you know, thrust and lift and aerodynamics, but I just don't really understand it. For many people, for many Christians, the Holy Spirit is kind of like that. I know that there is a Holy Spirit. I know that some people do some Holy Spirit things but the whole subject, the whole topic just seems foreign, and if I'm being honest, a little bit strange. Can, can I just, maybe a quick show of hands, anybody know what I'm talking about, right? The Holy Spirit. And I think for a lot of Christians, then they, they shrink back, or they kind of pull back from embracing God, the Holy Spirit, It's kind of cheesy, but there's a joke that sometimes goes around where people who, you know, kind of of fear that idea of the Holy Spirit, you know, the functional trinity then becomes God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. But God has given us his spirit. And I, I, I just want to encourage you. For some of you, maybe it's just ignorance. You just haven't thought about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. So you just need to learn, for others of you, maybe there's baggage or there's, there's fear because it seems like, quote, those people who are really into the Holy Spirit are just kind of strange or they do strange things or, or odd things happen. Like somebody goes, woo, in a worship service and you're like, I'm not, I'm not woo guy. And so I just, you know, I don't need the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and I just want to say to you, like, I'm on a mission today. I'm on a mission to convince you that you need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm on a mission today because this section of scripture, John chapters 14 through 17, is the most condensed section of teaching on the subject of the Holy Spirit from Jesus himself. Nowhere else in the Bible is there more condensed teaching about the Holy Spirit and it comes directly from Jesus. So I'm on a mission. Don't try to stop me. You need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen? Yeah, okay, all right. Oh, my charismatics just showed up. All right, let's, let's go. All right, a little context. This will help us. John chapter 14. You remember, this is the last supper, the, this upper room discourse. Jesus is, is sitting with his disciples and Jesus you know talks about going away and he says, you know the way to where I am going and Thomas says no we don't lord we don't we have no idea where you're going how can we know the way and jesus told him i am the way the truth and the life no one can come to the father except through me so this this whole conversation is all based upon the idea that jesus is going somewhere and so the disciples are sad. The disciples are upset. If you've been walking with Jesus for all of these years, and now all of a sudden he starts talking about going away and you won't be able to see me, wouldn't you be sad? Wouldn't you be upset? So there's, there's kind of a concern among the followers of Jesus. And we have to be clear, when you're reading this, this section, uh, there's kind of two different goings away that Jesus is talking about. One of his going aways is goings away. I don't know exactly how to say it, but one of them is he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. He's going to enter into the heart of evil itself so that we might experience forgiveness of sins and new life, a gift from God. And then he's going to rise from the dead. He appears to his disciples the apostle Paul tells us that more than 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus, that he didn't just like die and go away to heaven. He died and he rose from the dead, glorified in bodily form. This same Thomas is going to touch the, the, the nail holes in Jesus' hands and the, feel the wound in his side. And then Jesus ascends To the right hand of the Father, where He sits today, ruling and reigning over the entire cosmos. So there's kind of two goings away the going away to the cross and the going away to the Father. So we'll try to keep them straight as we go through. So He's going away, you skip down to verse 16, and Jesus says, But I'm going to ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. Okay, so there's this new character that's introduced on the scene and he's called another helper. Just out of curiosity, if this is another helper, who's the first helper? It would be Jesus. Jesus is saying, I've been here. I'm serving you, helping you. He's already washed their feet, all that. He's about to go to the cross. I mean, talk about some legitimate help, right? How about I, how about I help you with that whole death and sin and evil problem? Helping is putting it mildly. But I'm going to send you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. By the way, I'm just going to kind of charge through all these passages. What we're doing right now is we're taking the puzzle pieces and we're dumping them all out on the table. And we're starting to find the edge pieces and we're starting to flip them over and starting to get kind of an idea. I'm going to read through a handful of these passages that talk about the Holy Spirit. So I just want you to like pay attention or underline words or or kind of what's being said here. I'm going to try to do my best to make sense of it all here in just a few moments. So he's going to dwell with you. He's going to be with you. And then Jesus says, but the world won't be able to see me, but you'll be able to see me. And then one of the disciples named Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed. He needed to change his name. It was was due. And so he he asked this question. Judas goes, well, how in the world is it going to be that we can see you, but the rest of the world won't be able to see you? How is that even possible? And Jesus says in verse 25, he says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Jesus is saying, the way you're going to see me and the way you're going to experience me and remember me is through the work of the Holy Spirit. And then, he's, then Jesus goes on and all this stuff about you. Well, you got to stay connected to me. You got to abide in me. You got to listen to my words. You got to walk in obedience and you're going to do that. The world's going to hate you. They're not going to understand you. They're not going to like you. Verse 26 of chapter 15, he says, but... Jesus just keeps coming back to the Holy Spirit. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, well, now I got two puzzle pieces that are confusing because I thought the father was sending, but then Jesus is sending who the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father. What does that mean? He will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning but they're still sad about Jesus going away. They're still sad. Yeah, this is all great. You're going to send us the Holy spirit, the spirit of truth. He comes from the father. That's great. Why do you have to go away? Jesus says, verse six of chapter 16, just keep moving through. But because I've said these things to you, your hearts are really sad, but I'm telling you the truth. Like, listen to me. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Time out for just a moment. Um, I've, I've shared this before, but sometimes I have kind of like a daydream. Like I wish I could just like send an email to a, like a receptionist or something. And I could get on the schedule to meet face to face with Jesus. Cause it's like, I got some questions, right? Like, uh, Jesus, you said a lot of things about hell. Can we get some clarifying statements on that? You know, because some people in our culture don't like that. Like we just talk about that, right? Or I just, I've got these questions about how to like lead and love and serve the church. And I just could use a little bit of advice. Anybody kind of with me? Like, wouldn't it be great to just like sit down and have coffee with Jesus? But Jesus says something here that his ascension, his going away to the father is actually Advantageous for us. That's hard for me. That's challenging for me. I'm I'm a guy. I like kind of concrete, tangible things. And and Jesus being physically present somewhere. If I, I mean, I could take a plane to Jerusalem. I don't know how they work, but I'll take a plane and go to Jerusalem and go meet with Jesus. That would be that would be advantageous. But Jesus says, no, it's better that I go away so I can send you the Holy Spirit. Wow. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So the Holy Spirit has this, this role of like convicting us. Oh man, my life is out of order with what's God's best for me. I need, to, I need to repent. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. So the Holy Spirit has this role to like help shape us and change us and grow us so that we're, we're more like Jesus. We grow in righteousness. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. We talked about that a number of months ago that, that the one, who, the, the, the false ruler of this world, the devil is, is cast out because of Jesus' death and resurrection and now there's a new age. It's a, it's a new day. There's a new, there's a new government. There's a new regime and, and it's the age of the spirit and the spirit has a role to play in the ruler of this world being judged. And now listen, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you but you can't even handle them right now. When the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Clear. Got it. Oh, John, I love, I love, John, but man, you could really spend a lot of time digging deep into these details. I want to I start, I, I pray to bring some helpful clarity. I have four things I want to say about the Holy Spirit so that we may understand who he is and what it is that he's doing. The first thing I want you to understand is this. Pay attention to the names. Did you notice the different names and the different titles used throughout this Section through all these different readings. I mean, the, the starting point is spirit. I mean, just the word spirit. There's God, there's a lot of like father and son language, but here, this person, this helper who's being talked about, is referred to as spirit. And we know that God is spirit, so there's some sort of uh, connection there with God. But what's really interesting is that word for spirit in both the Old Testament and the New, both Hebrew and Greek, it's the same word for your breath. Your breath. If you get the wind knocked out of you, you know, they would have said you got the spirit knocked out of you. It's why there's even kind of superstitious things like when you yawn or when you sneeze, things like people say, bless you. I guess nobody says bless you when you yawn. That'd be weird. Uh, But when you sneeze, people say bless you because the superstition is, oh, your spirit just left your body momentarily. You need a blessing from God so that breath can go back into you. Just think about this. I'll just dangle this out there and I'll let you run with it. Jesus is the word of God. Spirit is the breath of God. If you're going to communicate you, your thoughts, your words, your breath, they're all involved. Which part is you? Which part's not you? Whew, man. Okay. He's called the Holy Spirit. That's important as well. God is described uh, by many adjectives, by many words in the Bible. God is love. God is righteous. God is perfect. God is merciful. God is powerful. All of those words are true, but the number one most commonly used word to describe God in the Bible is holy. God is holy over and over and over again, from the first page to the last page of the Bible, literally holy. So when the spirit of God is holy, he's, 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 he is God. God is holy, he's he's perfect, there's no wrongdoing in him, and this spirit is himself holy. Three times in in these verses we looked at, it says that the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, which means he's entirely trustworthy. How many of you guys know that there are things out there that are not true? And 94% of those things are on the internet, and... You, you you need someone to help you, to guide you, to help you understand what is true, what's not true. Well, the, the Spirit is given to be the Spirit of truth. Now, those those names and those titles are awesome, and you can find them in other places in the Scripture. But John, of course John, gives us a name for the Holy Spirit that's really only found in John. John's always got to be unique. He's the original hipster, okay? So John uses this word. I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek, okay? Because it's fun for me. Uh, the word is paraclete, okay? Let's let's say this all together. One, two, three. Paraclete. When you go to the Super Bowl party or whatever you're doing this afternoon for the big game. I really want you to be the life of the party. So let's let's study this, okay? The, the Greek is going to set you apart from everybody else at the party, okay? The word paraclete, he uses it a number of times, and you may have noticed in the scripture reading, we're using the, the ESV translation. They kept using the word helper. There are other translations that use these other words. There's a, there's a translation. It's called the New English Translation. And the guys who made it are like Bible nerds. Well, I mean, all translations are done by Bible nerds, okay? That's why they're into things like translations. Uh, but the New English Translation, these guys are like nerds, par excellence, like the top shelf of Bible nerds. And I went to their translation of this because I wanted to see, they always have these like footnotes. So here's what they said about this word paraclete. Finding an appropriate English translation for Parakletos or paraclete is a very difficult task. No single English word has exactly the same range of meaning as the Greek word. Comforter, which is used by some of the older uh, English versions, suggests a quilt or maybe a sympathetic mourner at a funeral. Counselor is adequate, but too broad in contexts like marriage counselor or camp counselor. Helper or assistant could also be used, but could suggest a subordinate rank. They use the word advocate because advocate is someone who advocates or supports a position or viewpoint. R.C. Sproul, the the late uh, Bible teacher, preacher, phenomenal writer too. He says this, he says, in antiquity, a paraclete was an attorney, basically a defense attorney. If you had problems with the law and you needed somebody to represent you, you called your paraclete. The prefix para means alongside or beside and the verb kletos means to call. So the paraclete was someone you called to come alongside you and help you in your defense. Let me ask, is there anyone here that has challenges in life? Is there anyone here that has struggles? Anybody here got problems? Anybody here got things? You're like, man, I just don't know what to do. I need some help. Not just anybody. Help. I need, oh, sorry, I slipped into Beatles there. It happens. But, right, like, you need someone to call upon. What Jesus is saying is you call the paraclete. You call the Holy Spirit. He is the one who comes alongside you to help you. In all of the struggles, all of the trials, all of the hardships, it's the Holy Spirit that we call on. So yes, we call upon God as Father. And yes, we call upon Christ, the Son, our, our, our advocate before the Father. But Jesus is telling us, you really should call upon the Holy Spirit. So pay attention to the names. Number two, part of the reason why there's confusion about the Holy Spirit is because he takes a role that is more, I'll say, behind the scenes. I I put together just a quick list of some of these things where where like in 1526, it says that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. And in 167, it says that he's sent by the son. And in 1613, it says he'll not speak of his own authority, but he'll only speak that which he hears. Or in 1614, in, in Jesus says that the job that the Holy Spirit has taken is to glorify the son. If you missed last week's teaching from our, our guest preacher, Justin, he did a great job of talking about this idea of glorifying means to make somebody else famous, So the Holy Spirit has taken on a role to not point attention at himself, but to make Jesus and the cross of Christ the focal point. Now, that doesn't mean that he's any less God, but in the way that the persons of the Trinity function, we get this little glimpse and the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to take a more behind the scenes role and I'm going to make Jesus be the focal point. Now, this has led to some controversy throughout the years. If you thought I was just getting started with some Greek, let's go church councils for a moment. You're going to be so popular at the Super Bowl party. Okay. Council of Nicaea, 325 AD. Christianity is no longer illegal. The, the Roman government has now made it legal. They gather a group of bishops together and say, Hey, we need to like sort through some stuff. Like, who is this Jesus guy? And so they meet and they talk and they come up with this thing called the Nicene Creed. You guys all know the Nicene Creed? You all fall asleep listening to it on headphones at night. I know you do. And this is what they say. Now, notice they're really focused on Jesus because this is, this is the original version of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. There's the Father. Here's the Son. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down and became incarnate, becoming man, suffered and rose again on the third day, ascended to the heavens and will come to judge the living and the dead. And then it closes with this line, and I believe in the Holy Ghost. The end. That's it. That's it. Right? Like, huh, uh, is there, is there, was there more? Like, you had a lot to say about Jesus and who he is. And so, of course, people kind of like, well, maybe there's maybe a little bit more we could say. So as you do, you get another council together about 60 years later in a city called Constantinople, and they fleshed it out a little bit. They added these these words. They said, I believe in the Holy Ghost. That was a good start, but let's keep going. I believe in the Holy Ghost, The Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, and who has spoken through the prophets. By the way, don't get tripped up by the language of Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Ghost is just an old-fashioned word for spirit. Same thing, same thing. The Holy Breath, the Holy Spirit of God. So they added some words. Good job. But then something happened. Over time... And we don't really know where. It's kind of hard to, to figure out. But over time, they added these three little words. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son is worshiped and glorified, who has been spoken through the prophets. Now, that right there turned into the theological debate that split the Eastern church and the Western church. If you want to know why in about 1000 AD, the Eastern Orthodox Church and Greek Orthodox, what became Russian Orthodox, all that, why they broke off and said, see you later, Rome. You Westerners can have your and the sun. That's why. Now there was a lot more. There's a lot of politics and things happening there too, but that's the theological controversy that led to the split. Why is there a Roman Catholic Church and an Eastern Orthodox Church? Those three words right there. I know. The point is, the Holy Spirit takes a more behind-the-scenes role, and there's, it's just kind of harder to understand who He is and what He does. The Father, His glory is on display in creation, and the Son, His His glory is on display in redemption, the cross, and the Spirit says, "I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be close to you. I'm gonna be present to you. And I'm gonna draw your attention to look at the Father and the Son." I think that the Western Church, the the, the What's, I mean, you call it now the Roman Catholic Church. I think they were right. I do think that the, that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. I also think that it's a huge deal to separate over the, what's now known as the Filioque Clause. So uh, I just I want you to understand the point, though. The Holy Spirit's more behind the scenes. Okay, you guys with me still? Number three, Christians have the Holy Spirit. Oh, all right. When you're on thin ice, you might as well dance. Okay, so we're dealing with controversies and church splits. There's something else that happens when people talk about the Holy Spirit. I first became aware of this. I was raised in churches that are more uh, charismatic or Pentecostal leaning. You guys familiar with those words? Pentecostal comes from the word Pentecost, which is the day you keep reading in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out and people were speaking in tongues and people who are Pentecostal said, hey, that's that's good. We should want to pursue those things. Charismatic church, charisma, gifts, mean the Holy Spirit gives gifts. We should pursue those gifts. Uh, these are the types of Christians that really love to emphasize the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. But somewhere in there, another uh, controversy came up, and some—I'll some, just put it bluntly—some very bad biblical theology snuck in, where they said you can be saved and you receive Jesus, but you cannot have the Holy Spirit. You need to have this other additional experience with the Holy Spirit, where then you now become filled with the Spirit. And if you're actually—if you have the Holy Spirit, you will, guaranteed for sure, speak in tongues. And friends it is just not there in the Bible. In fact, the exact opposite is said in places like Ephesians where the apostle Paul writes that on the day when you believed you were sealed with the Holy spirit or passages like here in John, where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, the world's not going to see me, but you're going to be able to see me because you have the Holy spirit and you will be filled with the Holy spirit. Friends, Whether you realize it or not this morning, when you woke up and you brushed your hair and you brushed your teeth and you got dressed and somebody walked up to you and said, are you filled with the spirit? You might not have known how to answer, but I've got great news for you. You were, you already have the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. This is an incredible gift because this is how God regenerates us. We've talked about this, that, that, that Jesus came to reconnect us to the source of life. And what Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit is that source of life. I'm going to literally fill you with the Holy Spirit. So sometimes people will say things like, well, are you a spirit-filled Christian? And, and they mean something by that. The answer, friends, is absolutely I am a spirit-filled Christian. Yes, sometimes I leak and I need to be filled again, but I am, I am a spirit-filled, spirit-baptized, whatever language you want to use, if you have trusted in Christ and received the gift of salvation, you have the Holy Spirit. It's not some second-tier, slightly better Christians that have the Holy Spirit. It is all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, okay? Okay. And if you disagree with me, I love you. Let's sit down. Uh, My email address, as always, is Shane at SoundCityBibleChurch.com. You saw it coming. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about it, right? Number four, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus close to us. And I love this because, again, Jesus is he's working with his disciples. They're sad that he's going away, that they're not going to get to walk with him. And, and all throughout these, these verses, you know, I'm, I'm going to send the Spirit to you and he'll be with you forever. He'll bring to remembrance all that I've said. He'll remind you of me. I like that it says that, that I have many things to tell you, but we just, basically, Jesus said, we don't have time. You can't even bear them all right now. I've got so many things to share with you and to teach you. But when the Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into all the truth. You know, that analogy earlier of like, I wish I could get on Jesus' schedule and and meet with him face to face. What Jesus is saying is through the Holy Spirit, you can. 24 hours a day, night or day, anywhere, anytime, any place, you can meet with Jesus because you have the Holy Spirit. How amazing is that, friends? How amazing is that, that the Spirit draws us close to Jesus? You know, what's interesting about this is, you know, people use this language sometimes of like asking Jesus into your heart, which that phrase is nowhere in the Bible. There is one verse in the, in the book of Ephesians that talks about Christ living in your heart. But there are dozens and dozens of verses that talk about the Holy Spirit living in your heart. So actually it would be more biblical to say, Holy Spirit, would you, would you take residence in my heart? Would you fill me up? Would you live within me? Would you, would you remind me of Jesus? You know, I said it a moment ago, and I, I kind of was joking, but the reality is, is we're filled with the Spirit. We, we receive the Spirit when we're converted, but the Bible encourages us to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. You need more of the Holy Spirit daily. Amen? You need more of the Holy Spirit daily. How many of you would like to be able to have courage when you face the storms and the trials of life? Anybody? Oh, well, then you need the Holy Spirit. How many of you would like to be a more loving husband, wife, parent, teacher, employee, neighbor? How many of you would like to be more loving? Anybody? Oh, well, then you need the Holy Spirit. How many of you would like to be able to just share the gospel with people in a way that's not about you, but just is about him and you're not scared? How many of you like to be more effective at sharing the gospel? Anybody? Guess what? You need the Holy Spirit. All of these things that that God is doing in us and working in us, it all comes through abiding in the Holy Spirit. Sam Storms, who's a a pastor and uh, author in Oklahoma City, who I really appreciate, he, he says this. He says, dozens of New Testament passages speak of believers being filled with the Spirit for ministry and life. The Spirit who was once given and now indwells each believer is continually given, to enhance and intensify our relationship with Christ. Anybody want to have a more, like just just a a closer relationship with Jesus? That's what the Spirit's doing. And to empower our efforts in ministry. You guys want to be fruitful? You You want to do things that will like make a difference and make an impact in people's life? Well, then you need the Holy Spirit. So how? How do we get this Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, we're going to take another offering and I'm just kidding, right? Like, again, lower your, lower your guards. This is where sometimes people, you know, the weirdness can kind of creep in. I have good news for you. How do we get filled with the Holy Spirit more and more? It's very simple. It's actually very simple. Number one, by asking, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? part of of our, you know, leaking, if you will, is that we just don't realize, we're not aware that God's spirit is present with us all the time. So pray, pray, take time, set aside to pray, pray while you're driving in your car, pray in those little moments in between phone calls at work, whatever you got going on, pray. God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you remind me that your spirit's always with me, always helping me? Would you be the one that I can call upon to come alongside me? So just ask, ask in prayer no fancy formula or magic words or none of that sort of stuff. Just ask, Spirit, would you, would you fill me today? Uh, number two, oh, shocking, read the scriptures. <gasps> the, 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 the book of First Peter, Peter says that no prophecy of scripture just came about by the will of man, but these, these men, men wrote the, the scriptures, human beings, but they were carried along by the Spirit that these words are breathed out by God. By, they are breathed out. They are spirited by God. It's the exact same Greek word. So when you read the scriptures, you're, you're letting the words and the thoughts and, the, and the, the priorities of God the Holy Spirit fill your heart and fill your mind. So read the scriptures. Spend less time reading whatever you're reading. Blogs, I'm sure they're wonderful. But like, you want to be shaped to know God the Holy Spirit? Read, read the words that he inspired to be written. Number three, singing. Singing is a unique thing where, I mean, think about what you're doing when you're singing, right? You're breathing. And some of you have lovely voices. Others of you, uh, can I just tell you the truth? It, the quality of your, your, your timbre and your tone, that's not ultimately what God is interested in. It is a wonderful, God-glorifying thing when someone has a beautiful voice. Yes and amen. I'm thankful for all of the just amazing musicians that lead us and serve us and all that. But what God wants is your heart. And as you sing, that's a form of praying. And you're you're breathing, you're you're out loud, and and God's spirit will meet with you in those times of singing. Uh, Number four, I got two more. Fighting sin. Do you know what makes us not be filled with the spirit? By being filled with other things. And so we don't believe, we believe that the Bible teaches absolutely clearly we are not saved by our moral efforts. We are saved by grace alone. Can I get a loud amen from them? Can I get a woo from somebody here, right? We are saved by grace alone, but because God has saved us, because he has been so gracious to us, then we engage our will to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. God's grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, Feeling like I have something, like God owes me. Fight against sin. Say no to that thing, that temptation that offers to satisfy you, but will ultimately leave you empty. And then lastly, by community. I I wish I had more time to go into this. So many of these passages that talk about you being filled with the spirit. The spirit will be with you. We don't see this in our English translations because people from Texas didn't translate them, but the Greek word is y'all. Yeah, thank you. Can I, get, can I get a witness from the Dallas contingent over here, right? Y'all are being built together like a temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. Y'all will be filled with the Spirit. Y'all need to be pursued with the Spirit. It's a community project. And when we gather together in relationship, when we talk, when we pray, when we open the Scriptures, there's like this, like this chain reaction because you've been given the Holy Spirit, and I've been given the Holy Spirit, and we actually get to interact with each other and experience more of God's Holy Spirit when we interact with each other. How awesome is that? Being isolated does not help you to experience more of God's Holy Spirit, but being in relationship and being in community does. The end. Okay. (laughs) So, this is where you say, okay, Pastor Aaron, is it time to like start being weird now? No, not necessarily. If you, wanna and you, wanna, if you want to sing, if you are a woo person, there is freedom for you here, okay? If you're not a woo person, there's no pressure to artificially drum up some sort of excitement or thing that you have to do in order to be like a real spirit-filled Christian. You who trust in Christ, have the spirit. Let's ask him to fill us now so that we can treasure Christ and we can face the challenges of this life. God, we invite you and your Holy Spirit to fill us right now. God, whatever that looks like, however you want us to encounter you in these moments, God, I pray that we would be open to your Spirit ministering to us. God, would you change us so that we would, we would look more like Jesus. Would you help us uh, be encouraged that we can always have access to Jesus because the Holy Spirit is with us. And as we enter into this time now of responding at the Lord's table and singing, I pray that we would experience your Holy Spirit in a new way. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Kyle to lead us in communion. And we're going to welcome our younger students class in here in just a moment. So take it away, brother.
2: All right. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. So This week, as I was reflecting on this passage, and I was reflecting on this idea uh, that Jesus told his disciples that he needed to go, that it would be better for for them if he went to be with the Father so that he could send the Holy Spirit, uh, I was imagining myself as one of those disciples, and I would be pretty grieved. It says that they were grieved, um, and for any of, the, of us who love Jesus, that would be hard, right, to be standing there with him and then him have to go. Um, And it it caused me to kind of reflect back to uh, the days when I was in the military. My kids were much younger. And when they would, whenever I'd be preparing to leave for deployment for several months, uh, it was really hard around our house. It was very sombersome and quiet because I was getting ready to leave. Their dad was getting ready to leave for a long time. And so I would deploy once I got set up wherever I was going to be living for the next year or so. I would send them a, a package. I would send them some teddy bears or pictures things that would kind of be like comfort items to them. Uh, One specifically was my daughter wanted this pink uh, nightgown to wear at night, and I believe she wore it every single night until I got home. Um, But the point here is that when Jesus left, when he ascended to heaven to be with the Father, he promised that he would send the comforter, the helper. And the Holy Spirit reminds us of Jesus' love for us. Jesus also gave us uh, the, uh, the Lord's Supper, to help us, to remember, to remind us of his love for us. And so this morning, as we're reflecting on this passage, as we're reflecting on um, who the Holy Spirit is and, and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives and encourages us, I would just encourage you to, to reflect on that idea of um, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the helper, this the comforter to help us until Jesus returns. I'll read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In a moment, I'll pray, and then I'd encourage you to spend some time reflecting. The band will be playing quietly behind, um, and just spend some time meeting with Jesus this morning and asking the Holy Spirit uh, how he wants to grow you, to to comfort you, to shape you as a follower of Jesus. Uh, and then when you're ready, go ahead and stand with us as we sing and celebrate this morning. If you bow your heads with me, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, this message this morning, this reminder of Jesus giving his life for us, paying the penalty for our sins There's nothing we've done, there's nothing we can do to earn your grace, your favor, and your love, but you have poured out your life, you've given everything, Jesus, and not only that, you have sent the Holy Spirit to encourage us, to comfort us, to help us. God, I pray for my friends here this morning, I pray that you would encourage each of us, meet us where we're at. We do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, fill us afresh and anew this morning, and Uh, Just pray that you would be with us this morning as we now remember Jesus' death, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed in our place. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.